We want to welcome you to the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burroughs. And I'm TJ Darty, And we are the Reformed Informants. Man, back in the pneumatology series again. Episode five, man, halfway over halfway through now. Uh, on the backside of this thing, a lot of a lot of good discussions yet to be had. So yeah, man. So it's been it's lived up to the hype so far. Matt, I I literally can't believe this is already the fifth episode that we're recording in this series. I mean, it, it seems like we just kicked this thing off, um, but in reality, man, I, I think we're about halfway through this thing. I mean, you mentioned something in the last episode about when we were uh, we were just newbies when we were beginners uh, back at back at the early days of the podcast, however, you know, two plus years ago or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, we, we, we did these, these little mini series working through system, uh, working through doctrines. And it was just, you know, I don't know, four or five episodes or whatever on a particular doctrine. Now here we are going 10 deep on Christology. We're <laughs> looking at eight here in, in pneumatology. There's, there's just so much that can be said. So, uh, yeah, man, it's been, it's been a good discussion and looking forward to getting into more tonight. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, um, we could probably extend the pneumatology series beyond, you know, the eight, nine or 10 episodes that we have planned. But since my wife is having a baby here at the end of March, we wanted to try and conclude this series, uh, before that happened. So if we randomly stop after this episode or episode six in our series, it's because my wife has had a baby and we'll just have to pick back up with it uh, sometime in late April, early May. But we're trying, and we're trying to get yeah. this thing done beforehand. That's that's the goal, right? Try to wrap up this thing, put a little bow on it, uh, tease out a soteriology series down the road. Probably have some standalone episodes, but uh, yeah, we're we're hoping to make it. Uh, the the internet outage put a wrinkle in things, but we think we can still knock this thing out. Yeah, man. Well, uh, for this episode, uh, we're going to incorporate a little biblical exposition, uh, some verse by verse, uh, expository podcasting. Uh, yes. I, guess, I guess you could say we did this back. We've done this a number of times on, on the, uh, the, the podcast, uh, in, in the past, um, even in Christology, uh, we did a uh, we did an entire episode on Hebrews chapter ten, and we, we thought that, that felt or we thought that that flowed well with our Christology series. So we thought that we would go ahead and do that here with pneumatology. Yeah, I'm really glad you suggested this um, because the podcast is is primarily a systematic theology podcast, but we we certainly do sequential exposition. We think that this is a a foundational component of of what we do here, but also because the way in which you do systematic theology demands, it requires that you're able to handle biblical passages. And so uh, with that being said, it makes sense uh, uh, to to have this conversation now. And, you know, we, we've talked about um, the, the personhood, the deity, the work, the uh, procession or spiration of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about all these theological concepts, um, but but tonight it just it, it's going to be fun just to open up the Bible. These are my favorite episodes that we do. Um, we, you know, we got a few notes, of, a few things that we've we've looked at beforehand, but really it's just fun to open up Scripture and walk verse by verse uh, the way that I know that. Uh, your church does on Sunday mornings. I mean, my church does on Sunday mornings to so just let the word of God speak and to uh, to have a conversation that is just grounded in Scripture. So if you're listening 
uh, on a drive, probably not a good idea to open up your Bible. But if you have the the option, the ability to open up a copy of Scripture and follow along with us, I think it would be helpful, beneficial to do so. That would be my encouragement. Yeah, man, that's that's exactly right. Be safe opening up the Word yeah. of God. We don't need that yes. thing opened up behind the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> don't no, we can't. No, your blood's not going to be on our hands. We just want to make sure we're we're clear on that. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, this is episode 63, Pneumatology Part 5, and we've titled this episode simply The Fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to work through Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses 16, all the way down to the end of chapter 5, which would be verse 26. Um, so I, I give credit where credit is due, and TJ gets all the credit here for uh, throwing together uh, this episode guide. I had honestly just thought about hitting record and winging this thing. But TJ, man, in a classic form, uh, wants to make sure that uh, we've got a little organization to help us roll through this episode um, without hitting any speed bumps or roadblocks. Uh, so that's essentially where we're going to go. Um, so TJ, I'm going to kick it back to you um, and, and let you get this episode rolling. Well, <clears throat> let me let me first comment on your uh, mention <laughs> of of how how I've put together this guide. The reason is because uh, I don't want to be loose with my words, especially when it comes to uh, the Word of God. And I, as a as a preacher of the Word, I know that it can be very easy to open the tube of toothpaste and it's hard to get it back in, you know? And so it's easy to start talking and get excited about something and, and uh, chase a rabbit or whatever else. So uh, it's really just for my own benefit to kind of structure uh, this thing. So uh, before we, so, so we're going to be in uh, Galatians 5, 16 to 26, Lance, as you mentioned. And uh, before we hop into that, we want to set the framework, we're going to set the context of it. And so I, I, I want to be able to do that. But before we do, let me ask you first, why this passage? So you, we, we had labeled uh, this, this uh, episode. We had decided we were going to do an episode on the fruit of the Spirit. And you texted me last night, night before, and said, hey, what if we just did straight biblical exposition? And you suggested this passage. Why this passage uh, when we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit? Well, the, the Holy Spirit is mentioned numerous times in the New Testament, but there are a few passages where uh, the Holy Spirit is the main emphasis, not just in one mm. verse, but the passage itself. So um, I, I think of a Romans 8, um, and, and by the way, we couldn't do all of that in one episode. That's why I didn't pick that one. Um, <laughs> but I, I think of an Ephesians 5 where it says and to, to not be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. Mm -hmm. um, even a Colossians 3.16 I would throw in the mix there, talking about let yep. the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's essentially a parallel passage to Ephesians chapter 5. But Galatians chapter 5, especially the back end of Galatians chapter 5, is all about the Holy Spirit. Not only uh, the fruit of the Spirit, um, but walking in the Spirit, living a life under control under the control of the spirit. That's right, man. And, and I, I, I'm so glad you mentioned Colossians three. I was just reading through, I read through the book of Colossians just this afternoon and was struck by, 
the the majority of kind of the heart of Colossians chapter three and and discussion uh, uh, Paul's discussion there of kind of the the vices and what it means to walk in the spirit and to let the dwell of uh, the the word of Christ dwell within you richly like you've got this parallel passage there so I think we could have gone there uh, but you have this this very concentrated section here. And in these 11 verses, the Holy Spirit is going to be mentioned by name seven times. And so this is a very Spirit-centric passage. And so uh, it, it makes perfect sense to walk through this. And we, we couldn't have gone wrong going with other passages, but this one uh, is a very familiar text to many of us. So uh, let me kind of set the stage, kind of provide a little bit of context because uh, we're not going to interpret Scripture in a vacuum. We want to make sure that we understand rightly where this uh, passage fits into the the flow of uh, the book. So very briefly, uh, I'll just say kind of uh, setting the stage that the book of Galatians uh, was written not to one particular church, but to several churches uh, within uh, several communities in this Roman province called Galatia. Uh, So there's where you get the name. It was predominantly a Gentile uh, uh, community, predominantly multiple Gentile communities, uh, because it was a part of the Roman province there. Uh, These churches were established uh, in Acts 13 and 14 uh, on Paul's first missionary journey, and then he went back, revisited, strengthened them, organized them, encouraged them later in Acts 14. Uh, the book of Galatians was probably one of Paul's earliest uh, letters that he had written. Um, I, I, it almost feels like, Lance, I don't know if you would agree with this, it feels like Romans light, like a like a, a, a miniature early work that's one day going to turn into Romans. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, it's like a preview. Um, yeah. Because, you know, they're essentially brothers in terms of the subject matter, but uh, this is kind of the... Uh, I don't know the younger brother, uh, yeah. The, the, <laughs> yeah, the not the not 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 the older, fully mature one yet. There you go. That's 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 a great uh, analogy there because uh, the purpose of the book of Galatians is uh, to to essentially to refute and to negate uh, the teachings of who the, this group known as the Judaizers. Okay, and so the Judaizers were essentially saying, uh, in order to be saved, you had to do. Uh, trust in Christ plus perform X, Y, and Z uh, rituals in observance of the law. And so Paul is arguing throughout the book that the law cannot save, the law cannot uh, sanctify, the law cannot accomplish salvation in any uh, form or fashion. So, so really, the theme of the book of Galatians is the superiority, excuse me, the superiority of the gospel of grace over the works of the law. So that's really what Galatians is all about. So now if you're working your way through Galatians, you've got the beginning, uh, the first couple of chapters, Paul is giving uh, his testimony. He's establishing himself as an apostle of Christ so that what he says has authenticity. Uh, And then in chapters three and four, and this is just kind of a rough outline, but it gives us uh, a little bit of feel here. Chapters three and four, Paul is going to develop this idea that salvation is through faith uh, and trust in Christ alone. It can't be uh, obtained uh, through observance of the law. So there's this uh, emphasis on the gospel of Christ. And then 
when you get into chapter five, you have this uh, transition toward life that is now in the spirit, uh, a life of liberty. We're not bound by the law. We're not hindered by the law. But because we've been set free in Christ, now we have a life in which in our liberty, we walk in freedom, in freedom with the Holy Spirit. And so uh, there's there's this emphasis, as you mentioned, Lance, in chapter five, about life being in the Spirit. It's a life that is lived in walking in the Spirit, in conjunction with the Spirit, and living out the Christian life that is obtained through the gospel of grace and now is uh, personified and lived out through uh, the work and the activity of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. So that's a that's the Cliff Notes version of Galatians uh, leading up to where we are in context. Anything you want to add to that or, or emphasize there, Lance? No, I appreciate you giving us that flyover, uh, the background and the context of what's going on in this uh, in this letter. I, I would just add to that that, yes, Galatians is doctrinally booming. It's theologically rich. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. but notice it's not detached from living out those truths. We've talked about this on the podcast before. You know, Paul's just not hammering down doctrine and theology and then leaving these churches hanging in terms of practicality. Um, in fact, one of my favorite verses in Galatians chapter, or the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, basically Paul is in birth pangs, trying mm-hmm. and begging and pleading, laying out theology and doctrine in order for the churches of Galatia to have Christ formed in them. So all of this theology isn't just so he can put uh, these amazing doctrinal truths down on paper. It is that to one degree for the inspiration of Scripture and and, and those things. But on the other hand, man, he wants Christ to be formed in the Galatians. And that's where we're going with this episode, man. We want to be theologically sound with our pneumatology, but we also want to be practical with that. Yeah, I, I love that. That's that's such a, an appropriate uh, segue into this conversation to say this is really the nuts and bolts of the Christian life as those who have been uh, born again, those who have been regenerated by the Spirit. That's uh, back from our episode on the work of the Holy Spirit. He regenerates believers. He uh, opens our eyes to the truth. He convicts us of sin. He brings us to repentance and he gives us a new heart. He gives us new life. And so we have been uh, sealed by the Holy Spirit and now we're going to walk by the Spirit. So uh, Galatians 5, we're just going to go through uh, verses 16 to 26. Um, Lance, why don't you kick us off, man? Let's kind of tackle this section by section, uh, may, maybe give us uh, small chunks that we can make ourselves uh, make our way through, especially in case somebody isn't able to open their Bibles with us uh, to, to try to grapple with and understand exactly what the text is saying. Yeah, that's great. Let's let's start here. Uh, I'll, I'll read verses 16 through 18, then we'll make a couple com- couple comments and then we'll, okay. we'll, we'll just keep uh, working through this thing line by line. Uh, so Paul in... Galatians 5.16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under 
the law. I mean, that this, this is foundational to uh, this episode, uh, especially the opening verse, right? But yes. I say to you, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Essentially, what Paul does here is he lays out this conflict between the flesh and the Spirit between the flesh and the spirit. So between the unredeemed humanness and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so when we're talking about the flesh here, we're not talking about, you know, the your physical skin. Um, mm-hmm. But we're talking about the unredeemed humanness that is left in your human body. So Paul's writing to Christians. Okay, so when he's speaking of their flesh, he's speaking of the sin that they have, and the sins that they commit within their unredeemed humanness, the, the flesh that they have. Am, am I right on that? Yeah, man, that's dead on. I love the way you said that. I, I also love the the observation you made that said that he's writing to Christians. Okay, this is a Christian struggle. Uh, the The world doesn't struggle with this. Okay, the world only satisfies the flesh. Uh, the world doesn't have an inner war waging within them, uh, as Paul describes it in Romans 7. The, the world has no such conflict uh, because the world only has the flesh to satisfy. And so apart from Christ, uh, there is none of this conflict. But now for Christians, there's a struggle that happens. And this struggle is between as you mentioned, Lance, this this leftover fleshly sinfulness, um, and, and like you said, this is not like human body, skin, and bones. This is the Greek word uh, sarks. You may have uh, heard a pastor or someone reference this. This is, this is talking about the, the human nature, and there's a conflict between the flesh and the spirit because now, as believers, we have been given— a a new heart and new uh, eyes to see. We've been given new life, uh, but it's that's not fully realized. Okay, that the realization, the ultimate realization of this uh, new life in us, will not come to fruition until the culmination, till the uh, consummation. It won't actually come to to full development until the return of Christ okay until we are are dead uh physically and and the uh, we're able to put off forever the old self okay so in in this life there will be conflict and um I mean I love this uh, because Paul makes it clear that the two these two things cannot coexist okay you can't walk in the flesh and simultaneously walk in the spirit. Uh, I, I love the way that he says this. I mean, uh, I, I'm going to read read this again. The way he says it in verse uh, 16, he says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So it's one or the other. So the alternative is you don't walk in the spirit and you do gratify the, the desires of the flesh. And then he says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. So so these two things, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the spirit, they are, there's a dichotomy. I think that this is something that we see frequently in scripture, but there's there's not a lot of gray area here. It's you're either in the spirit or you're not. And, uh, and that's Paul's point. Yeah, that's exactly right. If you... Um... Look back in the original languages here in verse 16. 
walk by the spirit is actually, it's an imperative, you know, so Paul isn't giving suggestions here, you know, as Paul's writing to these churches, again, he wants Christ formed in them. So he, he gives direct commands on how to win the battle over the flesh. He says, walk by the spirit, exclamation point. I mean, th- th- this is a command to be followed. Um, right. Christians, you know, Christians can't merely just observe what Paul is saying and give it a go or give it a try. No, Paul is commanding Christians to walk in the spirit so you will not gratify or satisfy uh, the desires of the flesh. And that word gratify or satisfy is actually the same word that Jesus used on the cross when he said, it is finished. It mm. is finished. So if you walk in the spirit, you will not finish the desires of the flesh. You will not sin. Now that, let, let, me, let me caveat that here. That doesn't mean you will be perfect, but as a pattern of life, if you walk in the spirit, as a pattern of life, you will also not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's man, I love that. And and you you said something else there that I I just I want to jump on because you you nailed it when you talked about this idea of the pattern of life. And and you also mentioned that in the original language that this was an imperative, like there's a command, but it's also in the plural. So he's telling the church collectively for all of them to walk in the spirit. And so I I think kind of subtly here that Paul is saying that we are to do this alongside one another. So those fellow believers in Christ are to lock arms and to walk by the spirit. I I had a conversation tonight with a younger couple who's desiring to get married and uh, we we were doing some counseling beforehand. And one of the things I told them was uh, the, the pull, the gravitational pull of the world, the, as you, as you seek to get towards Christ, to, to grow in Christ and pursue Christ, the world is going to try to pull. And, and the world is alongside your flesh here in this case. But I said that pull is a lot stronger if you're standing out there by yourself. That if you're locked arms with other believers and you're all moving toward Christ together, when you feel that pull, they can help hold you. They can help keep you from being sucked back by the pull, by the desires of the flesh. And I think that that's a, a, an underlooked or an overlooked and underappreciated aspect of what it means to walk uh, by and walk or walk in the spirit in this case. Oh man, dude, you got a pulpit over there or what? <laughs> you know, just Monday night, 9 p.m. Let's, let's have at it. Yeah, man, we're, we're already rolling. I say we're rolling. We're still on verse 16 here. We've got like 10 more verses to go, but anyway, <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. I was supposed to preach on this passage um, I think back in the fall, but for, you know, COVID circumstances and consequences and the fallout of that whole deal, I wasn't able to preach this passage. So I've done some of the exegetical work on verse 16, um, but that's all I have to contribute to this episode. So I'm going to give you... <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, you you brought the thunder there, so you're going to have to... I don't know. Do we need to press pause? Let you go do some more exegesis so we can come back. Uh, no, but I, let me let me make one more comment on verse sixteen. Please do. Then. Please yeah. do. Yeah, because just pour the rest, it all out, right? The rest of this is just going to be you, man. So, well, there there's a doubt. The, the there's a a double negative uh, at, at the end of the verse. Uh, the strongest double negative that that Paul could possibly put together in the Greek language. So you could say that Paul is basically saying this, but I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not, 
you will never gratify the desires of the flesh. So he's wanting he's wanting to emphasize, look, the, the Holy Spirit is the way to win the battle over the flesh. You know, the right. emphasis is on the Holy Spirit, <laughs> which is that's right. I mean, that's why we're talking about this, you know, in this episode. That man, that's such a that's such a good reminder, and and um, and, and this the whole point of verses sixteen to eighteen, just kind of this this introductory section here that we're looking at is is to to point to this conflict uh, between the flesh and the spirit. You you you've pointed that out that these there's war that's been waged within us uh, because the the spirit comes in. Uh, and he is, he is staking out the claim of our hearts and our, our sinful hearts resist that our our hearts don't want to submit. Um, it, it takes an act of the Holy spirit to over the course of time to, to break us and to, to mold us and to shape us. And so this, this act of, of kind of this bucking against the spirit. That's what's happening with our flesh. Our flesh continues to want to satisfy itself. And, and so there's this, this conflict here and you, man, Lance, I love the way you said that the, the solution is to allow the spirit to do the work, to, to yield, to submit, to uh, walk by the spirit uh, with this. And you mentioned and I'll just say this one more, one last thing, and then we can move on to the next section. But uh, you, you mentioned this pattern of life. I mean, that word "walk" uh, is one that we see fairly frequently in Paul's letters, and he he references this idea of walking, <clears throat> in this case by the Spirit, uh, to indicate the type of lifestyle over the course of time that should characterize who we are. That pattern of life that 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 is that that is the goal, the objective. Um, to ultimately be so like Christ where you are walking in the Spirit all day, every day, right? Yep. So with that being said, we hop down into uh, the next kind of section here, uh, verses 19 through 21. So Paul in verses 16 to 18 has has highlighted the conflict between the flesh and the Spirit. But then notice what he does here in verses 19 to 21. He's, he's going to begin the process of kind of fleshing these out, pun intended, uh, to talk about the fruit of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. Now we we tend to rush to the fruit of the Spirit, but listen to the way that he describes the fruit of the flesh in verses 19 through 21. He says, verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. That word there means obvious. It's, It's very, very apparent. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, a lot to a lot to unpack there, Lance, but first observations, what do you got? Man, that, that is a terrible list. Oh. Goodness, goodness gracious, that is a and terrible it's, it's, list. It's not the only place we see these right. vice lists, right? Like we see them lots of times in Scripture. Yeah, that's a good point. This isn't uh, this isn't comprehensive. This isn't exhaustive. You know, Paul, he's just selecting uh, you know a handful of sins to highlight here. 
Um, my initial comments on this would be, I love what Paul does here, though. So he's talking about this battle, the flesh against the spirit. But then he gives tangible, physical evidence of both, right? Mm -hmm. So, man, this is such great insight that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has given us. Essentially, God has revealed this battle, and, and God has revealed how to identify it. And so Paul starts, like you said, sometimes it gets overlooked. Paul starts by identifying the flesh. What are the deeds of the flesh? What are the evidences that highlight the corruption and wickedness of the flesh? And then, and then he lists it, and it's disgusting, but <laughs> necessary. Yes. So Lance, tell me if you agree or disagree. What what Paul is doing here is he is he is demonstrating to us. He's saying. This is what it looks like when the flesh dominates or when whether whether it's in the life of a believer who is struggling with the flesh and the spirit or if it's in the life of a non-believer this these are the works of that that manifest themselves when the flesh wins when the flesh is the one uh, that calls the shots this is the fruit you will see. Is that what he's demonstrating to us? Yeah, I mean, these are the signs and symptoms, right? This is how you tell what the issue is. If these verses characterize your life, you are either an unbeliever who loves the flesh and you love these sins, you love darkness, or you're a believer that has gone wayward and and needs to finish Galatians 5 to get back Mm -hmm. on the right path. And and you said, Lance, again, this idea of the pattern of life. So if I'm analyzing my life and I I think to myself, you know what? I had a fit of anger three Tuesdays ago whenever I was stuck in traffic, and now I'm beginning to panic, like, oh, no, like this is— but that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is talking about this obvious manifestation of the flesh, which characterizes who we are to the point to where that type of outrage or that type of behavior, that type of sin would just, it wouldn't even, it would not even be a blip on the radar because that's all we produce, right? Like he, he's not talking about somebody who, uh, who, who is um, having this one off type of, of, this thing pops up and I felt jealous and I, I've repented and I've turned, that's not, that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about this, just marking who we are. Yeah. And, and because, you know, Paul, like we I mean, we talked about Romans earlier, right? I mean, Paul identifies this battle again in Romans chapter seven, right? Mm-hmm. So I think Galatians was probably written around AD 49. Romans came probably, I don't know, six, seven, eight years later. And Paul's talking about the same battle, right? right? He's talking about the same battle. So Paul understands that this is an ongoing, lifelong battle for Christians. But I like what you highlighted there, TJ. This isn't as if, you know, you're... <laughs> You're driving down the road and you sin or you get home and you treat someone poorly or whatever it is, then all of a sudden you're thrown out of the kingdom of God. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about Christians that are in this battle and how to deal with it. Well, and he, 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 the, 
there's a way in which you might think through, like he, he doesn't give this exhaustive list, right? Like you mentioned, this is, this is just representative. I mean, there are lots of sins uh, that are not even mentioned here. I mean, murder doesn't pop up here or, uh, you know, uh, other types of, of obvious sins that are clearly the works of the flesh. Uh, they don't pop up. It's not all of them. It's just, this is what it looks like for somebody who is characterized, who is walking in the flesh. Uh, but you could kind of, uh, you could kind of uh, characterize or categorize uh, these these specific things that these vices that that Paul has mentioned. You could you could just kind of categorize them into conversations regarding sexual immorality, uh, religious idolatry, uh, selfishness within personal relationships. So that's that's your things like your your strife, your jealousy, your rivalries, uh, and then he he, he also mentions things. Uh, which regard things of abuse, so things like abusing alcohol with drunkenness, or or things like that. And then he says that little phrase at the end, and things like these. So there are uh, other things that could be added to this list. It's nasty. It's overwhelming. It's disgusting to kind of even think about. And yet, Paul says there are others that could be included here. So, um, and then he says that that phrase. He says, "I warn you." As I warned you before, again, this very emphatic uh, nature of repetition that Paul is putting forward here, as I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do these things, now that is a, a present tense, um, a, a present active participle, there, like you are actively doing them, that these people who are doing them will not inherit the kingdom of God. And, and it's very uh, pointed and it's very clear that this describes a person who is ruled by the flesh in such a way that it characterizes uh, someone who is uh, apart from Christ and has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Yeah, uh, the New King James translates that those who practice such things will mm-hmm. not inherit the kingdom of God. Practice, we're talking practice man <laughs> oh man um but yeah you know again what, what paul's doing here is he's exposing this battle he's making it tangible he's concerned about the galatians and he wants them to be like christ so he's exposing uh what the deeds of the flesh are and then he, he transitions here he, he he does a 180 yep. he, he moves off of the deeds of the flesh and he goes into the deeds of the Spirit, or the fruit of the Spirit, uh, mm-hmm. as we would commonly know it. So I'm going to read verses 22 to 23, um, and then and we're like, going to unpack this. Before you do that, let me make one. Let me just make one comment on the, on this transition. Um, so you, you mentioned this 180. I love that Paul does this, and script. We see it all over the place in Scripture. When Paul lays forth something like the fruit of the flesh, there's this. There's this innate temptation within some of us to just think, okay, I just need to abstain from that. Like the thou shalt not mentality, right? Like, okay, what are the things I'm not supposed to do? Uh, What are the things that should not be in my life? Okay, well, I need to just nix out all of these things and, and just try to make sure that I don't do those things which Paul has warned me about. And, and I think there's this temptation, I think, in all of us to we're seeking to be right with God. And so we think, as long as I don't do these things, then I'm good. 
but that's never going to be enough. And it's never going to, uh, we don't have the ability in and of ourselves because of the, the sin nature within us. We don't have the ability to just flat out abstain. And so Paul always gives, and we see this in the New Testament frequently, there's always the instead do this type of thing. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And I think we've talked about that on the podcast before. And so I love that Paul here, he's laid out the fruit of the flesh. He's like, this is what it looks like, and you don't want that. Instead, not just do you not want this, but you need this. You need this fruit. This is what it's supposed to look like. So I, I think this it's very intentional in, in putting these next to each other to highlight the contrast. Uh, so that being said, Lance, take us through uh, verses 22 and 23. Yeah, you're right. Before I read those, I mean, you make a great point there. Paul elsewhere you know, says to put off something, to put on something else. There you go. Right. Um, you could even say that Paul exposes the sin and then he gives the opposite virtue to put on. You know, so Paul just doesn't leave people hanging here. And mm-hmm. Christianity isn't about, you've said this before, man. I can't remember what episode that you said this, but Christianity isn't about just not doing something, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to try as hard as I can this week to not do this sin. It is that right. to some degree. But it is also putting on the opposite virtue, which Paul gives here, and I'm going to read them. So verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now to kick us off on this point, look, Paul isn't listing every single virtue. Okay, Mm -hmm. He's not listing every single opposite virtue that the Christian must put on. Again, this is just a representative list. It's it's not exhaustive. So if you see a virtue that's mentioned elsewhere in Scripture that Paul doesn't mention here, that's okay. Paul didn't intend to mention it here. So in other words, you would say that this list of nine items is, those are not the only nine things that we should think of when we consider the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. All right. Well, I've got a couple observations. Would love your your input here on on some of these things. But the two things that come to mind whenever I think about this, these verses, the fruit of the Spirit, the first two things I think of is, number one, this is, you might say, the fruit that the Spirit produces. Okay, this fruit of the Spirit, somewhat ambiguous, but really it's the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. In other words, these qualities are not things that we have in and of ourselves. We we can't conjure them up. We can't produce them. uh, We can't make ourselves demonstrate love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's not innate within us. Now, Non-believers can, in some sense, give some concept or some semblance of love and joy and peace, but they can't know true, biblical, godly love, right? We love because He first loved us. Like, that's the root of it. And uh, and so non-believers can't really love, okay? They, they, they have some idea of it, but it's only a shadow. We, we have the real thing. Uh, but it's only because the Holy Spirit produces that within us. So again, this is fruit. This is an outward manifestation that 
comes out of us as we walk by the Spirit. So uh, it, it's not one of those simple things where it's like, okay, today I need to be make myself more patient. No, that's not what's going to happen. It, it's a submit to the Holy Spirit and allow the Spirit to produce patience within you uh, and manifest this patience. Uh, again, that's not to take a passive approach. That's not what I'm saying. But I think the point there is clear that this is uh, the Holy Spirit doing the work. Uh, the second thing I want to point out, and this is one of the things just kind of, I don't know, and for what it's worth, the part, and I just, it's a, the word here is fruit. It, it's a collective singular. Okay. So I, I, I just kind of get frustrated. It's like talking about the book of revelations. Uh, it's the book of revelation. Well, same thing. It's not the fruits of the spirit. It's the fruit of the spirit. Uh, and I do think that that's important. Okay. Because this, it's a collective singular. And so the point is that these are not individual fruits that are kind of hanging down off a tree. Like, Oh, I'm missing one or missing two. No, like the, these things come together. This is part of what it means. The person who is walking by the spirit will demonstrate fruit that manifests and that has the, um, has the appearance of it and tastes like godliness. And it's going to, it's going to show up in all of these forms because this is the fruit collective singular, the kind of fruit that the spirit produces. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing I was going to add to this, uh, this entire section was exactly what you just said about the, <laughs> the, the collective <laughs> way that, uh, that fruit is used there. Um, you know, so Paul isn't presenting this idea that you can look at this list and say, okay, well, I'm, I'm good on faithfulness so I don't right. have to worry about the rest of, you know, the rest of uh, these fruits. But what Paul intends to mean is that every true believer that has the Spirit of God in them, to one degree or another, does produce each and every one of these, right? Mm. So mm -hmm. it's it, there's no such thing as a Christian that is lacking in one of them. Now, they may be further along in their sanctification, you know, uh, to one degree or another, but but every Christian produces these. It's it's collective, like it's a, right. a singular collective, like you said uh, just a minute ago, TJ. Um, so yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to ask. I mean, I was going to ask if you if you think there's any merit to this, or maybe maybe this is something we'll have to study uh, in further detail. But some commentators have proposed that based on the way that the Greek text is constructed, that these could be viewed as three sets of traits or three sets of qualities, uh, love, joy, and peace, talking about our relationship with God, patience, kindness, goodness, our relationship with man, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, our relationship with ourselves. And so there's there's potential. I, I, I don't know that I'm convinced of this, but there are some that, that uh, hold to this, uh, actually several. Um, and the point being that if your relationship is right with God, then it will show up in the way that it's right with others. And when you have those perspectives right, then you will be able to rightly understand and think about yourself. And so in other words, you like you mentioned, like you're not going to be like, I've got seven of the nine fruits. Like that's not how, that's not how this is presented, right? It's not even an exhaustive list. This is just representative of what it means for the person who is walking in the spirit, the person who is controlled by the spirit 
the fruit that comes out, the observable, tangible, physical representation of what's going on inwardly will be revealed. And that fruit looks like these things. Yeah. So even if you, um, you know, ascribe uh, to that particular uh, categorization of uh, the different fruits there, fruit, singular. I don't know. How do you still Thank refer you. to that thing right there, uh, man? Part, I, I don't know, part, part of the fruit. <laughs> part of the fruit. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I, I think that that categorization <laughs> demonstrates, um, you know, that there is unity within those, uh, yeah. that they are attached to one another. Um, you know, that you're not picking and choosing, but they're all linked together. Um, so yeah, I mean, so where did you say you were at on that? Do you, uh, you think know, those I, categories I think, are, I, I think they could be, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not fully convinced. I'm not, I'm not convinced otherwise. I'm not against that type of thing, but I don't, uh, I guess what I'm saying is I'll have to wait till you preach on it and you do all the exegesis for real all the way down from verse 16 through verse 26, and then you could probably tell me what the answer is. Yeah, man, stand by, stand by. Okay, okay, I'm ready. Uh, any any other comments on those two verses before I read the last few? No, nah, man, take us through the last few, and we'll close this thing out. Okay, so uh, Paul has, he, he's highlighted this this conflict between the flesh and the spirit. He's shown us what the fruit of the flesh looks like. He's now shown us, the, the opposing side, what it's supposed to look like for the fruit of the Spirit. And then in the last three verses, in verses 24 to 26, he, he answers the question of how is it that we are to then respond to this, to what, we, what he's just said? How, how do we respond to this? And he, he talks about what it means to have life in the Spirit. So this is what he says in verse 24 and beyond. He says, verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Okay, so really, I love the way that Paul's kind of put this forward. How do we how, how do we take what we've learned here and apply it to our lives? It's almost like this little personal application section at the end. And he gives two clear, I think, uh, presentations of this. First, we crucify the flesh. Okay, so he, he, he says it that those who are in Christ, those who belong to Christ, have crucified the flesh. Uh, that's, a, that's a perfect tense there. To say it's something mm-hmm. that happened already, but it has ongoing present effects. And so the one who has crucified the flesh continues to crucify the flesh. Uh, okay, so uh, so often, so often we are in the church culture, I, I hear people reference salvation as kind of this like, I did that already. Like I got saved or uh, I prayed the prayer, whatever type of vernacular you hear. But really, salvation is an ongoing process whereby you repent and you believe. Your conversion is this beginning of a life of repentance and belief. It's a beginning of a life where we crucify the flesh. I mean, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, I die every day. Like the, it's it's every single day we are crucifying the flesh. So how do you walk in the spirit? 
you put the flesh to death. You, you starve it. You don't give it its desires. Uh, that's the way you do it. And then second, he says you walk by the Spirit. Uh, he the uh, the ESV says, "Let us keep in step with the Spirit." That that Greek word communicates uh, what it means to be in order to walk in step like a soldier. So one who is marching uh, with in conformity with the other believers, those who have gone before us, those who are going alongside us, we are soldiers marching in step, uh, obeying the orders of the Holy Spirit. So that's how we respond. We we crucify the flesh each and every day, and we instead, uh, uh, instead of fulfilling the desires of the flesh, we walk by the Spirit, we obey the Spirit, we listen to the Spirit, and we trust the Spirit to do uh, his work within our hearts. Man, the language that Paul uses here, I mean, it is so graphic, explicit, mm. yet clear. You know, when Paul uses that word crucified, mm. ev everyone reading, literally everyone reading th this letter would know exactly what he was talking about. And he, he, he says, you have to do that to your flesh. Your, your flesh mm. is so wicked and so corrupt, and it's literally a criminal, and mm. you, you have to kill it. You, you have to mortify it. You have to get rid of it. You know, he, he's not saying put a Band-Aid on it. You know, he, he's not saying um, stitch it up, clean it up, and you'll be good. No, he's literally right. saying you have to kill your flesh. Um, That's right. And, man, you know, I... I He's absolutely right, obviously. And I would just say to this point that, practically speaking, we can't just manage our sin. We we have to mm. we have to be willing to mortify it. I think Owen Strand in my uh, my winter class he said something on those lines that you know Christians in America are more concerned about managing their sins than they are about actually mortifying their sins. Mm. Um, I think it was John Owen that wrote a book. Yeah, a lot of books, but one of them, actually, multiple books on sin and dealing with sin. But the mortification of sin, mm -hmm. um, and I think a couple others. I can't remember off the top of my head. Well, well, you you mentioned John Owen, and all I could think of was that that quote of his where he says, "Be killing sin, or it will be killing you." Right? Like it's you, you've got to put it to death. Um. That was John Owen that said that, right? Now I'm starting to second guess myself. I think it was D.A. Carson. <laughs> All right. That's, that's too easy. If you know, you know. Uh, oh, one, one other one other comment I would I would like to make here. And of course, if you're listening to this, like you you know that we've we've only really scratched the surface on this. Uh I would probably preach, I don't know, four sermons through this. Your pastor, uh, Pastor Tom. Pennington, he's probably going like 15, 16 sermons through those verses. Uh, there's so many things that we could we could say, and so we don't mean to be to intend uh, to suggest that we are being exhaustive and working through this. But um, I, I do want to make one more observation before we hop into the initiative, uh, and that is that I don't want us to suggest that okay, yes, you kill the flesh and you uh, walk in the spirit. I, I don't want us to. To suggest that it's just one of those things where, okay, as long as I just sit still, the Holy Spirit will do His work in my heart, and 
everything will just eventually show up uh, the way it's supposed to. Okay, and and this kind of this passive approach, um, I, I would point to to uh, passages like uh, Colossians one twenty nine, Philippians two twelve and thirteen. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So there's this there's this responsibility that we bear. Uh, but I love this quote from J.I. Packer in his book called Keep in Step with the Spirit, which comes from, uh, that language comes from right here in Galatians 5. But he says, he says this, quote, The Spirit works through means, okay, through the objective means of grace, and in particular, he says, biblical truth, prayer, fellowship, worship, and the Lord's Supper. And, and with them, through the subjective means of grace, whereby, whereby we open ourselves to change, namely thinking, listening, questioning oneself, examining oneself, admonishing oneself, and sharing what is in one's heart with others and weighing any response that they make. So in other words, what he's saying here is that the Holy Spirit, through spiritual disciplines of prayer and studying God's word, fellowshipping with believers, actively participating in worship at church, serving at the church, uh, taking the Lord's Supper, doing those things along with a heart which has a desire to change, a heart which says, I I want to grow and mature. I want to be open and acknowledge my sin. I I want to see where I'm falling short. I want to see how I can pursue a life in Christ. Uh, Those things happen uh, those things happen in such a way that the Holy Spirit then uses them as the means by which He uh, produces this this fruit. He, he changes our hearts uh, from the inside out, and so these things, these the, this fruit that comes, is the result of intentional and meaningful and purposeful uh, desire towards sanctification. Does that, does that make sense? In other words, I don't want to suggest that if you just sit still, the Holy Spirit does everything, and if you are still manifesting some bad fruit, then the Holy Spirit failed. Like, that's not what we're saying. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, man. I think that's a great segue into uh, the initiative. Um, yeah, I, I mean, gosh, that, 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 that is good. I mean, that is t- that's taking the theology and doctrine uh, that Paul has laid out and really putting it into practice with with. with the the Christian disciplines um, that have been laid out in Scripture, and I think Packer. Mm-hmm. I mean, that quote is, I mean, just spot on, right? Yeah, he's it's loaded. There's a lot. There's a lot to it. And I even can I even cut out some of it uh, <laughs> that I'd copy because it was just too, there was just so much there. Uh, but yeah, J. I. Packer, uh, keep in step with the Spirit. Definitely worth uh, worth digging into. Yeah, man. Well, I'll, I'll kick us off for the initiative, then I'll send it back uh, back to you. TJ, so you can close us out. But, uh, you know, we've been talking about this battle between the flesh and the spirit, this ongoing battle that that Christians face. Um, and on the one hand, it, it could be discouraging. You, you could be discouraged thinking about this particular battle um, uh, between the flesh and the spirit. But, but let me read something from Tom Pennington. You mentioned him earlier, and I've got a quote pulled up here. Um, for my initiative, but he says, if you find this very conflict between the flesh and the spirit in your soul, it should be a great source of hope to you. It should encourage you that you really belong to Jesus Christ, that you have been regenerated and that you have been justified. Mm. So that would be my encouragement. And my encouragement would be, and my takeaway from this episode is, 
if you're in the middle of this battle, look, you have the Holy Spirit on your side. You have the Holy Spirit that you can walk in, that you can be filled with, and He can lead you to victory over your sinful flesh. And if you follow those disciplines that Packer mentioned and TJ, you just explained, you will not gratify the desires of the of the flesh. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. And I, I love that, man. That's what we said at the beginning. Um, this is unique to Christians. We're the only ones that have this battle. If you if you don't have this battle going on, then it just means the flesh is winning uh, because the flesh is being satisfied. That's oh, that's so good. Um, okay, so my initiative uh, is a little bit unique here, but uh, I was preaching through Genesis as in a if you've been listening, you're, you've heard me say that. And uh, a couple of weeks back, I preached um, on days two and three in the creation story where uh, God closed the uh, the dry land with all the vegetation. And, and I had noticed that there's an interesting thing that happens in the creation story that uh, there's usually one act of creation on each day, but on day three and on day six, there's two acts of creation. And on day three, God gathers the, the waters together so that the dry land appears. And then in the second act, he brings forth the vegetation. And, um, and, and I came across this quote from Spurgeon, and I couldn't fit it into my sermon. And so I just thought, I have to share this. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention it here, okay? So uh, I'll summarize the first part. It's a lengthy quote. I'm not going to read it all. But uh, essentially, uh, Spurgeon says that having... Uh, attended to the air after he's done the work on day two, uh, God exercises his power. He puts the, the earth in order. And then he says, no sooner had he made the dry land appear, than it seemed as if he could not bear the sight of it and its nakedness. And he says, what a strange place it would have looked like that all of this, this dry land that has not a single leaf, not a single blade of grass. And so he says, before that day was over, God clad the mountains and the valleys with forests and plants and flowers. Then he says this, it's as if to show us that the fruitless is unbecoming in God's sight and that the man who bears no fruit unto God is unendurable to him. He says there would be no beauty whatsoever in a Christian without any good works and with no graces. As soon as ever the earth appeared, then came the herb and the tree and the grass. And so, dear brethren, in like manner, let us bring forth fruit unto God and bring it forth abundantly. For herein is our heavenly Father glorified that we bear much fruit. And I love that that application, that connection from the opening uh, creation account in Genesis 1. And it just reminds me that our lives are to be that which produce good fruit fruit which is honoring to God and fruit which is produced by the Holy Spirit. I, I don't I don't even have words. I, I'm done. I got I got nothing, man. Spurgeon Spurgeon is a great way to close this episode out. Uh, if you're listening to this episode and you're not doing so already, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Make sure you give us an honest five-star rating. Leave us a nice review. We always appreciate those. Uh, you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and you can like us on Facebook at Reformed Informants. You can follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at our underscore informants. And you can find links to all of our social media platforms, all of our previous episodes, and you can get access to Reformed Informants gear 
hear all on our website at www.themagistiesmen.com slash reformed informants. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion, feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com. 